From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome back to The Dairy Show, everyone. I am once again your host, Katie Schmidt, and joining us this week from the southwest corner of Wisconsin is Rick Thompson, who also goes by RT quite often of Random Luck. Welcome to the podcast, RT. Thanks, Katie. Pleasure to be here. So as we get started, I'm going to have you introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners. Tell us about you, what your connection is to agriculture. I'm Rick Thompson. I'm a dairy farmer in southwest Wisconsin. Farm with my primarily my son, Matthew. Um, we've been here for 18 years now and milk 65 cows have about 140 head on the farm. Your farm goes by random luck. How did that name come to be? My wife, Lisa, I'm divorced now, but me and Lisa get along pretty good. Uh, she's the one that gets all the credit for coming up with the name. It took a couple of years to figure out. I mean, we were sitting on registration applications trying to figure out what our prefix was going to be at the time. But uh, thanks to her, she came up with random luck, uh, incorporated both of our initials. And it it's a true belief in my farming that there is a lot of random luck to it. So true. Yes. A lot of skill, but a lot of random luck. So we were talking before I hit record on this that you grew up on a dairy and then actually started your own dairy after your parents sold out. So tell us about that journey and why, why get into dairying on your own place when you had to start from scratch? Oh, uh, when I went to college, I swore I'd never milk cows, never have kids. And that's what I've done for over half my life. So you don't know as much as you think when you're heading into college. Um, I became a fitter shortly after college, had the fortunate. I worked for Tom Moore Sales for a couple of years, the Great Northern. I was a herdsman at um, Sunshine Genetics for two, three years, and a herdsman and in charge of the show string finance farms for two or three years. Oh, and then <laughs> tried to work out a few partnerships, ended up with a some people buying a farm with the agreement that I was going to rent it for a while. We we're partnering on a few animals. They changed course like two years in and we ended up buying 40 acres and uh, still good friends with those people. I don't know if I owe them gratitude or not. Yet. We'll see how this whole story ends. You still got lots of time and places to go. And speaking of which, what are some of your goals for the farm uh, as you work alongside your son? Oh, just to make it sustainable and enjoyable. I mean, I, they, they tell you you never worked a day in your life if you enjoyed it. And I guess the whole day, yeah, you enjoy it. There are a lot of moments where you don't enjoy it. But working with my son is very enjoyable. And what about the cows at the farm? How many are there? What are your breeds that are represented? About 140 head total. I'd say there's probably 45 brown Swiss, 50 to 55 jerseys. And the remaining are a few Holsteins, and we've got a shorthorn here now, and occasional air tire will come through. We even had a Guernsey two years ago. Pretty much covered all the breeds. So on the show side of things, because that's, that's how Expo knows you, what does that management program look like for you in terms of your show program versus maybe your regular cattle that are in the barns that aren't coming out? Unfortunately, they're inefficient in that they're all treated kind of like show animals. They're all getting long stemmed hay, which 
as anybody knows who feeds hay outside, they tend to waste it when it's long stem, but that's the way I buy it. But all the cows are fed grain individually. Uh, the only change is usually about the amount of protein that animal's getting, depending on her production, but all breeds are fed very similar. I do, I mean, I do like my jerseys a lot, but I haven't, I have not yet figured out how to raise a Jersey heifer skinny that could compete at a high level in a show ring. So why the variety of breeds? Why are you working with all of the breeds at some point? I grew up with Holsteins, found a real passion for Brown Swiss when I worked at uh, Sunshine Genetics. I think we had we had a couple grand champions at Expo and a Supreme Champion in the barn. And well, Elaine was a two-time Supreme Champion. Um, Lisa, she worked at Gilbar Jerseys and picked up five head of jerseys when we moved here and that's the foundation of the jersey herd which the other night i was doing some research out of the first 100 random luck jerseys over 50 percent of them are excellent over 30 percent are 92 or points or higher so that i mean we've had a lot of a lot of jerseys too wow that is incredible so what does the breeding program look like that you're accomplishing these achievements consistently? It's mostly type orientated with uh, credit Ken Elliott. He told me that you always got to throw in a splash of juice every third generation. So you can't, geez, we haven't found luck throwing type on type on type. You need that true dairy quality too, which can come usually comes in a form of a positive milk bowl, but it, um, my focus right now is more watching the DPRs because I feel that's a true strong genetic or genomic trait that comes through in all of breeds that if you have a negative DPR, they tend to be a harder breeder, breeding animal. And I really appreciate the animals that calve in every year and last to be long or older cows. Yeah. Does your breeding selection vary based on the breed that you're mating for, or are you mating for a pretty universal cow across the herd? Just trying to correct weaknesses with strengths. Primarily just trying to correct that weakness as quickly as possible in a cow. And there's some crosses that always have worked. And I don't, I guess I use a little more proven bulls than younger bulls that I know what the result should be. We're going to change breeds here a little bit because your brown Swiss are what's actually exhibited most often. And in 2020, obviously, was the year that really wasn't when it comes to the show world and the show circuit. How did you adapt or adjust to fill that void that without the show season? And how did you change your, your marketing or your management of the cows to make it through that year? Oh, I got in a pretty good panic in the spring there when sales started getting canceled and shows were starting to get canceled because uh, my main income is, or profit is from selling show animals or, you know, registered animals. And <laughs> that market was drying up quick. So I decided to have a, a small tag sale and with, I thought, reasonable prices with the ability to put a 10% deposit down with the agreement that if the animal was able to get to a show that the animal would be purchased then. Fortunately, I only had one person that put the deposit down. Um, and I think I sold eight other animals with many of those people calling back this year. It was nice to have the repeat interest in animals that are. So we made it through last year. 
I've been going to a handful of sales this spring or watching them online and have been noticing these higher prices for type cattle than what we've seen in recent years. Is that something that that you're seeing as well? And is is there anything that you can accredit something like that too? Uh, no, it was, it was it was awesome to see that the interest back in the registered industry. Um, I think if you would have talked to most people last June, it was pretty glim out there. But to see these prices rebound, I think COVID had brought more of a family atmosphere back. And I, I've always believed that showing cattle, you know, dairy cattle or even any other species really teaches a kid a lot of responsibility and um, to get out of what he puts into an animal. It's, it's very encouraging to see so much interest. And there, I mean, there's a large number of animals sold too. And these are early shows this year that the in- attendance has been has increased. So all encouraging and, and the registered end that way. Yeah, it gives us a great hope for the, the kind of dairy cattle show that'll be put together at Expo this fall with entries open now. So we're, we're seeing those start to come in and are excited for the, the quality and quantity that show up in Madison. Speaking of Madison and Expo, had last year happened, you would have been in the center of the show ring judging the International Brown Swiss Show as the associate judge. And most of our judges who were slated for 2020, we'll say re-upped, they, they decided they were going to come back in 2021. But you're one who didn't. And I guess I'm wondering why make that change in decision or why 2020 would have worked, but 2021, you won't be center ring judging. Well, I was really honored when Lynn asked or considered me to be his associate at the time. I mean, the end of December there is where you kind of know when your animals are bred back or, or they're not. And I had a discussion with my son saying, you know, we're not, we're not going to be real competitive come expo next year. Been offered this position as possibly be the associate. And, um, and me and Matthew both enjoy going to the shows. That's kind of our bonding time or whatever. And he agreed to, you know, take a expo off and let me have my fun or <laughs> so but then you know a year later um our better cows are bred back and uh talked to my son and talked to lynn i uh, didn't want to inconvenience him at all especially when you know he, he considered me or he p- chose me as his associate but uh i think his associate this year he'll be fine too so yeah, I think he he found a, another great option to stand aside, stand beside him in the show ring. So for you, what does it take to be competitive at Expo? Where where does success lie? Like if you could do one thing well that will lead to success at Expo, what is it? To me, it's just getting the animal out to the best of its ability. I mean, once it leaves the ring or heads to the ring, there's not much you can do. It's, you know, what one or two people's opinion when... So uh, I, if I get them out, I shouldn't say me, my crew does most of the work and there are a lot of good friends of mine. If we get them out right, uh, that makes me happy enough. I mean, yeah, I, I could, <laughs> I'm not always happy with the placings. I, I'll, I'll be called out on it if I don't mention that, <laughs> but the, the, true, <laughs> the true satisfaction is getting the animal out correctly. What have you noticed in changes in cattle since your fitting career started, let's go back to that point it, versus now, how have the cows changed? What, have, what are you liking better? Or maybe what's not going quite as well? well? I think the improvement 
is definitely coming to mammary system. I mean, the udders are just so much better now than they were back in the day. And um, it takes a lot more cow knowledge the way you have to get your cows out today as maybe in the past. I mean, it it takes a cow to be very full with, but look comfortable in a mammary system to be exhibited at World Deer Expo. You don't want to go in not being full, but you want the cow to be comfortable and that's there's a lot of times it's a very narrow window and you can if you pay attention you can see the people that are really good at getting those cows out because they're consistently at the top of the class yeah how does somebody get good at that what what does it take to be able to consistently get cows out at the right level uh, a lot of homework at home i mean whether you're practice bagging them keeping them on a pretty consistent schedule I'll say some of my random luck, my cows don't milk as hard as other people. So my window to get them correct is a little wider than the people who have cows that are milking 140 pounds a day. Their window might be an hour. So I've got like two or three hours for mine to look pretty accurate. <laughs> I never thought of that before, but that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Oh, it's just, I mean, a lot of it's just picking things up trial and error. I mean, I try to tell people that or live by the, fact that it's never a mistake as long as you don't do it a second time so don't be afraid to try things just pay attention and learn from your experiences so let's look at the industry as a whole how does or how do registered cattle fit into the greater picture of our evolving dairy industry in say the united states all the information collected with the registration and and being double checked or whatever so it's verified as important as that is with the computer age i mean there's there's other farms that aren't registered that information is just as accurate as a registered breeder personally i think down the road you're going to see more crossbreeding and uh i think that's where the purebred industry is going to benefit is being able to sell those genetics to people that want to incorporate another breed into their breed because if you look, I mean, I'm just basing it off of what I see in the beef and the swine industry. Um, you don't see that many truly purebred animals marketed. There's a hybrid vigor there that needs to be fought, found. And somehow, something tells me that genomics will finally figure out how to breed animals. And that'll take a lot away from the, the, so, uh, the proclaimed breeder. I mean, that's right now, I still think that's something a lot of farmers have pride in that they mate their own cattle. and they're proud of what they've made it where um, when a computer starts taking it over, it's a lot more hands off. Are you incorporating genomics at all at your farm or is that something that you, you haven't really ventured into a whole lot yet? I haven't invested in genomics, but I do use the, the genomic values when determining what younger bulls to use. So, okay, I want to get back to this crossbreeding thing because that, to me, is really interesting to hear a purebred breeder say that crossbreeding has a place in the future of the industry. What is the the ideal cross in your mind or ideal crosses that you see taking over the industry in the future? I've had a few brown Swiss Holstein crosses that uh, they maintain the same size animal. And I, I, I was very impressed with the cross i mean it brown twists are known for their stress resistance and they've got a black foot which is usually a lot 
sounder foot, which you need in more of a commercial atmosphere nowadays. And uh, brown Swiss are a lot uh, more heat resistant. And uh, oh, they're, well, their components, I mean, in this area, I ship to a cheese factory and their components are more related to what a, a cheese processor would like. So I've been fortunate enough to be paid pretty good for my milk. Granted, I half the barn right now is jerseys too, so my components are higher, but that fat to protein ratio under brown Swiss is ideal for cheese making. And uh, people that have milked crossbred Holsteins and uh, brown Swiss, I think have been very satisfied. And you look what the jersey industry has done with all the JXs they have, they've increased production quite a bit. As a, as a breed itself, what does the future of brown Swiss look like? I, I think there's still a, a global demand for brown Swiss. I mean, I'm not going to try to quote any numbers here, but I believe um, worldwide brown Swiss is still the number one breed for number of animals. Them being very good in upper or higher climates, you know, like Switzerland and um, some of the Central American countries that need to have their cattle on the upper hills or whatever to stay cool. I never thought when I was a kid that I'd like Swiss. They always look stubborn, but it, with working with all the breeds, I, I call that a fallacy because brown Swiss get, they're very intuitive. They're the first ones in the barn. When you let, when I open the door, the brown Swiss are always the first ones battling in. And then uh, followed by some jerseys, the Holsteins, and then the smart old jerseys just wait for everybody to get out of the way. And then they walk in and go in their stalls. As somebody who's worked with all the breeds, what is your favorite one to work with? That's on any given day. <laughs> um, it is interesting when you walk into a barn and that has jerseys in it, the jerseys will turn around and look at you. Uh, I don't know if everybody's picked up on that. Um, if there's a gate open, well, uh, just for example, when I let my cows out to corn silage. For whatever reason, after I let them off the cow yard, the brown Swiss go to the hay bunk. The jerseys go out to the pasture to graze, and the whole thing's lay down. Uh, nobody believes me. They can come here and watch it firsthand, but it happens every day. I don't know when the whole thing's eat the ketchup, but they seem to catch up. <laughs> but it, it is kind of comical to see them segregate after they eat their corn silage. Yeah, that's entertaining to see like the breed personality come out almost. And I mean, it's it's not a hundred percent, but it it runs well over eighty percent of that. So, okay, so going into the show season for this year, we've got a couple shows under our belts here in the, the upper Midwest, but what are you looking forward to this year being back out on the road with with the show string? <laughs> Mainly just seeing everybody. I mean, especially at Expo, I mean, there's a lot of friends that you only see once a year, and that gap without seeing them, I mean, it, it pulls at your heartstrings. You just, you really look forward to getting back to Expo and seeing people from coast to coast and the Canadian friends I have come down. I think that's what we're all waiting and, and just waiting for, but we're told only a few more weeks or really 12 weeks, but it'll feel like a few weeks for those of us planning or those of us getting cattle ready. Yeah, no, I, you can ask some of my crew. I've been known to, uh, <laughs> it's usually state fair though. The night after state fair, we get home and I'm usually out in the barn catching up and about 12.01, I'll text all my friends that it's 358 days to Wisconsin State Fair again. And I'll do the same thing at Expo. 
That sounds about right. I think that's that's true for our our team here as well. As we kind of wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share with listeners as it relates to maybe advice that you can offer for our our junior or young exhibitors that are maybe going into their first show season this year without one happening last year? Try hard, ask a lot of questions, enjoy it. I mean, if you don't enjoy it, you might as well get out because there's not a whole lot of money in this. When you do have some success, enjoy that immensely too, because that it's not a given that you're going to succeed again the next time out. And take it as it comes. I mean, sometimes you're on the short end of the stick and the next time out, you might be the one that if you, people don't tend to look behind them in a show ring, but there's a lot of times there's an animal that you might actually like more than one you're on the halter with that's behind you. But like I said, not too many people look behind them when they're, <laughs> when they're showing animals. But appreciate, yeah, appreciate the competition and just take time to meet the people too. I mean, I enjoy being tied in the same spot at Expo every year or pretty much every year, but it's nice when you get different people tied by you and finally get to meet them. I mean, it, there's Expo's a long week, but it's also a short week. You cannot get everything accomplished, all the people you want to talk to, things you want to get seen in that period of time. But, uh, we're a lot more alike than we are different. I mean, once you get to, to talk to the other exhibitors. For sure, for sure. And what is your favorite expo memory? I think that's what we're going to end this on is, is tell me your favorite expo memory from any of your years you've been there. Probably when I got the call from Dave Bollock, I kind of had a feeling that I won Premier Breeder, but wasn't sure. But I got a call to come down by the ring and I I swear it took me three steps to get from Pavilion 1 down to the ring. I was just on cloud nine. Do you remember the cows that were on that show string or in that breeder group that, that got you that award? Hell, most of them are still around here. I mean, it, <laughs> T. Rose was just a, a three-year-old then. Um, she just turned 10 yesterday. Or I'm sorry, two days ago. Talent's 15. Tallulah's just turned uh, 11. Um, last week, Precious is out in the front yard. She's 13. Truly's right by her. She's 12. Um, so that's a lot. I mean, oh, Peekaboo's out there too. She was a two-year-old. She just, she turned 10 in March. Um, so most of them are still around. There's a couple that I had sold that helped me qualify too. That, um, but yeah, no, it, uh, they're not all milking right now. So I'm just wondering how much hay is going to cost this winter. yet. <laughs> They're looking more as a devil right now. <laughs> well, they'll look good doing it. So, well, we can't wait to see what you bring out this year and uh, what you bring to Madison. And we will see you this fall. But thank you so much, RT, for being a part of this uh, conversation. Well, thanks for asking me, Katie. And I look forward to seeing people at Expo. And do make a point to try to make it this year. I think it's going to be an awful special year. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. 
We would love to hear from you. 